Today is the Sunday within the octave of Christmas. The epistle for today's Mass is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Galatians. Brethren, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ in any way from a servant, though he be Lord of all. But he is under tutors and governors until the time appointed by the Father. So we also, when we were children, we were serving under the elements of this world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, that he might redeem them who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore now he is not a servant, but a son, and if a son, an heir also through God. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the second chapter of the gospel of St. Luke. At that time, Joseph and Mary, the mother of Jesus, were wondering at those things which were spoken concerning him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and for the resurrection of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be contradicted. And thy own soul a sword shall pierce that out of many hearts thoughts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Aser. She was far advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow until 84 years. She did not depart from the temple by fastings and prayers, serving night and day. Now she at the same hour coming in confessed to the Lord and spoke of him to all that looked for the redemption of Israel. And after they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong, full of wisdom, and the grace of God was in him. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. The silent star above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. In the dark street shines the everlasting light. All throughout Advent, we were praying to God to come and deliver us from a state of darkness, as if we were trapped in a prison, a dark dungeon, and there was no light able to penetrate, and waiting for somebody to sort of open the door, let the light in, and let us out. And we addressed our Lord as the one who would do that. We called him the day spring, the brightness of the everlasting light, the sun of righteousness. This is how we address him in one of those O antiphons, the one that appears for December 21st. Well, now, with Christmas, the light has come. Our Lord has come forth from the virginal womb of his mother. And it's time now for we who beg so much for the light to bask in that divine light that our Lord brings. But we all know that when you've been in the dark for a while and somebody turns the light on, you all of a sudden you just start squinting and, and blinking your eyes. And it takes time for you to adjust to the light. It's kind of difficult to take in the light after you've been in darkness for a while. And when it comes to the eyes of our soul, taking in the everlasting light of Christ. We definitely need assistance. We find it difficult 
to penetrate fully into the mysteries of the faith. The light of Christ is overwhelming. And we need motivation and assistance to take in the light properly and appreciate what it reveals. And to get that assistance today and for us to sort of appreciate the light of Christ, I want to enlist the assistance of a saint, the saint whose feast day is today, and he is compared to an eagle because he soared so high above the mysteries of faith, able to penetrate them so deeply. Of course, I'm speaking about the fourth evangelist, St. John, the beloved apostle of our Lord. We may think that St. John was able to see most deeply into the truths of the faith because he was closest to our Lord. It's because St. Peter was chosen to be the head of the apostles doesn't necessarily mean he was the closest to our Lord, perhaps the best one to be the leader. But there are various signs in the gospel where we see how St. John had a quicker and deeper perception of the faith than the other apostles. For instance, there's that time when both he and Peter run to the tomb, and they look in the tomb, and they both see the linens there, that our Lord's body is not there. And immediately, St. John knows that our Lord has risen from the dead, and he believes. That other time, when they're walking on the sea of, uh, when our Lord walks by the Sea of Galilee, and the, and the apostles are out there, he, call, he asks for them to cast their net, and they bring in 153 fish, fishes immediately. And it was St. John who said, It is the Lord. When we read the Gospel of St. John, we, we find that the words of our Lord were somehow seared in the memory of St. John. He didn't write his Gospel to maybe 60 or 70 years after the events had happened. And yet we find in the Gospel of St. John more the words of our Lord, our Lord speaking more than in any of the other Gospels. Those words must have stayed with St. John so clearly, they must have penetrated him so deeply, had such a great effect upon him. We especially find St. John using various symbols to communicate the deep truths of the faith. For instance, if you go through the Gospel of St. John and you look at the use of the word water, and how St. John refers to water and uses water as a symbol of the grace of our Lord, or the, the use of sheep as a symbol. And one of the, the symbols that he especially likes to use is that of light. He talks, you, if you go through the Gospel of John again, and you just look for that word light, wherever it appears, you find it appears all over the place, and it's a, a favorite way for St. John to indicate to us what our Lord brings us. Of course, the last gospel that we read at every single Mass, you see these references to light. St. John tells us that uh, our Lord's life is the light of men, and that St. John the Baptist came to bear witness to the light, that St. John the Baptist was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light, and it was the true light that enlightens every man that comes into this world. And he also has these chilling words about the light shining in the darkness, but the darkness did not grasp it. Now, you would think that, that those who have sat in darkness for a long time would be very happy when someone finally turns the light on. 
and reveals that light, they will be overjoyed to receive the light. But because of our fallen human nature, this is often not the case. Somehow, some people, some of those who dwell in darkness, and of course we all dwell in darkness to a certain degree, so we're affected by original sin, some of them do not like what they see when the light is turned on. This is what the prophet Simeon is referring to today when um, he calls our Lord the light of revelation to the, to the nations. Um, but, but he says that our Lord is a sign of contradiction. There's going to be a double reaction to him because he represents truth itself. He's going to reveal all things. Some are going to reject, some are going to accept. But it's especially in, in chapter 3 of St. John, where St. John himself explains why it is that some of those who dwell in darkness do not like the light. Now this is the judgment, he says. The light has come into the world, yet men have loved the darkness rather than the light, for their works were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light that his deeds may not be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be made manifest, for they have been performed by God. You have the double reaction that comes when, when our Lord reveals things. Some reject, some accept. And those who are evil are the ones who are going to love the darkness. They're going to hate that the light of Christ has entered into the world because the light exposes them as being wicked. When you think about all the people out there doing crimes, if they're going to commit adultery, or if they're going to steal, or if they're going to murder, when are they going to do it? And how are they going to do it? They're definitely going to do it in the night. And they're definitely going to do it in a way that they cannot be seen doing it in secret. They do not want to be revealed as committing the crimes. And this is the way evil works. The wicked do their crimes, they perform their sins so as not to be seen by others. And they hate it when anyone reveals their crimes, when anyone exposes them for what they've done. And those are exactly the, the sort of people, the, the, those who prefer the night to the day, who are not going to appreciate our Lord and who are going to reject our Lord. They do not have a love for truth. Our Lord says of himself, I am the light of the world. He who follows me does not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Now these people... They want to walk in darkness. They hate the light because it shows their true self. And that's exactly why the Pharisees hated our Lord so much. He exposed them continually for being the hypocrites that they were, and they did not like that. When it finally came to the point, the drama that exists between our Lord and the Pharisees, when it came to its climax, the Pharisees came in the middle of the night to seize our Lord. And he rebuked them. He says to them, When I was daily with you in the temple, you did not stretch forth your hands against me, but this is your hour in the power of darkness. Their hour was during the night. They did not come to seize him during the day. 
when he was teaching them, all those days when he was out in public, in full view, they come in the middle of the night in secret. In the end, the wicked love the night, they work in the night, whereas those who love the light, they work during the day, in the light of day, and they have no problem with their works being made manifest. There's no shame in what they're doing. Perhaps the most interesting comments about light we find in the Gospel of St. John appear in chapter 9, where we have this very fascinating story of a man who was born without the ability to see. He knew nothing of the light his whole life, this man born blind. And it's interesting because it provides a living contrast between the acceptance and the rejection of the light. And in this case, we have someone who's literally living in darkness, and our Lord, in his benevolence, communicates physical sight to him. But at the same time, this man who was blind his whole life, has a very deep spiritual insight. He, he proves to be extremely receptive to the light that our Lord communicates to him. And this conversation that he has with the Pharisees is, is almost humorous, and it's, it's certainly even delightful. There's something about it, because this blind man, is, is so, he's such a truth-teller. He has no regard to human respect. He just says it like it is. And the Pharisees, meanwhile, are writhing, even under the light that this blind man is providing to them. So the Pharisees go to him, and they say, how did you receive your sight? He said, through Jesus. And he said, but he's a sinner. And he said, well, a sinner can't do miracles like that. And they're like, well... We know he's a sinner. And he said, well, I don't know if he's a sinner. What I do know is that I was blind, and now I see. And they asked him again, how do you know? I mean, how is it that, that you see? This is where the, where the blind man gets a little impatient. He's like, I already told you how I see. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples? They answer as, as follows. They say, oh, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know. We don't know about him. And the blind man just speaks so directly. He says, oh, well, this is what surprises me so much about you guys. Here you have someone who does something that's never been heard from the whole history of the world. He gives sight to a, a man born blind, and you don't know where he's from. We all know that God doesn't work through sinners. There's no way that God's going to work this incredible miracle through someone who's a sinner. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Of course, there's no answer to that. There's no answer. All the Pharisees can do at that point is just start insulting him and saying, oh, you're born in sins, you've been a sinner since your birth, and you're trying to teach us? Get out of here. They kick him out of the synagogue. This is exactly what the blind man's parents feared. There was this threat hanging over all those who supported our Lord Jesus Christ. They might get kicked out of church. They might get kicked out 
of their Jewish community. The blind man was in such a position, he had such a love of the life, he could, he could not resist he, just saying it like it was and supporting our Lord. After this happens, after he gets kicked out of the synagogue, our Lord finds him and he says to him, do you believe in the Son of God? And he says, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Our Lord, so rarely, he never, almost never tells people that he's the Messiah. But he says to this man, you have both seen him, and he it is who speaks with thee. And the man says, I believe, Lord. And falling down, he worships our Lord. Our Lord then makes a comment on the whole situation, sort of sums up this whole perspective of the difference of reaction of those who come into contact with the light of Christ. For judgment have I come into this world, that they who do not see may see, and they who see may become blind. It's kind of two types of people that our Lord encountered during his public life. There were those who thought they knew it all, they could see, they had knowledge. For a lot of them, because of their pride, they rejected him. They did not want to accept his teaching. Meanwhile, there were those who were ignorant, but who were humble and docile, like this blind man. And they embraced the teaching of our Lord. They embraced the light. So, my dear faithful, I, I hope that we are not like those who want to walk in darkness, who do evil, and then hide that evil from others while we want to appear good and holy in front of others during the light, and then we do evil in the darkness of the night. This is the case. We're no different from the Pharisees, and we will have the same fate as them. We have the habit of making sacrilegious communions. Or we have the habit of performing secret sins that we would be ashamed for people to know about. Chances are we will not love the light sufficiently to save our souls. If we're unable to accept correction, if we can never admit that we are wrong, <clears throat> I would fear that we are enemies of the light. We're walking the darkness of pride, that same pride that made the Pharisees unable to accept the teaching of our Lord. I hope also that we are able to appreciate the light that we have. What's striking about this story is, is how the blind man's parents were unwilling to support our Lord Jesus Christ. He had just done an incredible thing for their son. Think about if your son was born blind. He lived his whole life blind. And this man steps forward and just instantaneously cures him. How grateful would you be? Yet when the Pharisees approached the parents of the blind man, he said, how, do you, how does your son, how is it that he sees? They don't say it was Jesus Christ who cured him. Of course they know that was the case. They pass the buck. They say, oh, well, I mean, he's an adult. Ask him. He, he can tell you. So that they don't get kicked out of the synagogue saving their own flesh rather than supporting our Lord Jesus Christ. It was too costly for them 
And it's a contrast because they had had the light their whole life. They had been able to see their whole life, but their son has not. And their son proved to be much more receptive. He not only appreciated the physical sight that he had received, but he appreciated the person who gave him the physical sight. And he did not hesitate to profess the truth of our Lord, who our Lord was before the Pharisees and take the consequences, the full consequences of doing that. And it's so important for us as traditional Catholics to be very careful that we appreciate the light that we have received from our Lord Jesus Christ. Often it happens that those who come to the faith after a long time have a greater appreciation for the faith than those who are cradle Catholics who were born in the faith. There's this issue with, with our human nature, our fallen human nature. It's just because something is part of our daily routine and lasts for a long time, just by that fact, it loses value. It decreases in value, just like, like property depreciates and cars depreciate and so on. Our faith depreciates over time unless we're always making that effort to renew our faith, to renew our appreciation for our traditional Catholic faith. We've been given so much as traditional Catholics. And we have to make sure that light we have received does not become less brilliant in our eyes just because of the fact that it's old or it's been there a long time. That man who receives sight after spending his whole life in blindness appreciated the light so much more than those who had had their whole lives with the gift of sight. So my dear faithful, the light of the world came on Christmas Day. Our Lord himself is present on our altars. We receive him in Holy Communion. And the one that follows him does not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So let us love that light so that we may have that life. Walk whilst you have the light, says our Lord in John 12, that the darkness not overtake you. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may be the children of light. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.